This podcast is recorded in front of an unwitting audience. This is True Crime Kent. And we are back up. Catherine Knott, part two. Part two. I, I, I feel a little like you're you're really mean to people because you were like, Hey, these things take as much time as they take to to put out. But but we just finished Catherine Knight Part One. So. <laughs> just kidding. Did I say that? No. I'll just I, all these people are like beating down the door on Patreon. They're like, "Where's Part Two?" And uh, like there wasn't major life changing things. <laughs> <laughs> Our household literally got turned upside down on its head. <laughs> it's like the gods opened your roof and I was like, here's another one. <laughs> I didn't even have it. I haven't even done any. I, I, didn't, I haven't had anywhere to do the research. <laughs> I don't have an office anymore. That's a now a little boy's bedroom. Oh, my goodness. I did the research for part two in my basement, in my wet, <laughs> damp dungeon basement, working by like one light bulb on a chain. Like fucking Ed Kemper. <laughs> it was depressing. Oh my goodness. Um we talked about that on nine one one, but I don't think we've talked about it here. Do you wanna? Yeah. No, but when we left off, <laughs> Catherine not was are you saying you want to talk more? No, I was just wondering if you want to fill people in on what happened. Yeah, I think it's always good in a two-parter to <laughs> on the second part have a massive pause. Second part have a massive pause and just start talking about your life. <laughs> that was always my favorite the part that they did in like the Goosebumps series shows when they would go into part two and you would just have this long thing where R.L. Stein would go in about his personal problems and everything. And you're like, I, I just want to. I just really want to see the Haunted Mask Part 2. Um, uh, or they presume that it's been too long and the, the TV series is like, previously, unpremiously. And then they go into like a 30-minute thing that covers the, everything that ever happened before. Previously on. Oh, I hate that. <laughs> the Righteous Gemstones does that. Oh, I don't know episodes. what that is. Is that a it's good a, show? Uh, it's a show with Danny McBride and oh, Goggins. That's right. I need to, and Adam Devine. I need to write that down. Um, Adam Devine, he's a good singer. I love Maroon Five. Hmm. Um, no, but I, I guess if you yeah, don't no. want to talk about the little boy in your house, um, no, I don't. I was waxing f- f- philosophical, poetic, waxing thoughtfully. Thinking we. On so many of our shows, you know, we, we do have a moment where we talk, talk, and get kind of uncut and do all the... And I was thinking, we don't really do that here. and I, I miss it. I miss it a lot um, sometimes. Do, would you want to do that on True Crime? No. Too? When we left off, Catherine Knott, she was bitch-slapping her way through life, right? And um, she had finally ended things with David Kellett. I don't want to talk to you about yeah. my about my life, and right. I just okay things happened. And, but 
Catherine, I, she, yeah, she's bitch slapping her way through life. He had, she had finally ended things with David Kellett because the son of a bitch had the nerve to go unconscious time after time ah. after being hit in the head with various heavy objects yeah. after returning home we're at we're a wrong, reasonable right? time, to be honest, like 10 yeah. o'clock. Right. We're he wrong. steps inside the house and goes unconscious. Rolling right into this, aren't we? <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right. I don't want to talk about I don't think the listener wants to hear about our lives, uh, a 30-minute wine session about our lives in the middle of an episode. This is part two. Maybe if we did it at part one or even at the beginning of the next episode. No, it, it just wouldn't be appropriate. What if I got AIDS between no, no, then what and if you No. 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 What I did you even say? What if you got what? What if I got AIDS between then and now? No. Monkeypox. It. It's like a 50-year terminal illness. You're going to die of old age. So AIDS isn't even that serious now. So Ooh. no, if you got AIDS, I would say save it for the next episode. We might mention it in passing okay. in the beginning of the next episode. Maybe. If there's time. I've got dick jokes to get out. I've got fart jokes to get out. We'll get to your AIDS if there's time. You are very demonstrative. Uh, I, I Demonstrative. Yeah. Define. Um, demonstrative. Are you uh, typing it in? No. I hear click clacking. <laughs> of a person tending to show feelings, That's especially weird how that of affection. sounds verbatim like it's being read from a Webster's Dictionary. Serving as conclusive evidence of something giving proof. Um, yeah. So, no, that's what I I'm just riffing. <laughs> Demonstrative. I could use it in a sentence, too, if you'd like. No, I wouldn't like that. Um Look, Catherine Knott, she has moved out. <laughs> she has moved out of David Kellett's. She left David Kellett. That's where we left off, right? Okay. Previously. And, uh, previously. She's, moved, she's, moved, she's moved in with her mom and pops on their farm in Aberdeen. Okay. Uh, with her two daughters, Melissa and Natasha. And, and I'm sure that her parents, her mom and pops, they were happy to see Catherine Knott move right back in. Oh, grinny and red-haired. What a pleasant sight. That would be pulling up your driveway. Oh, it would. It reminds me of, I can't, no. Um, what what show was it where the, the bully in the neighborhood was Big Dolores, and she was just like this big, giant, angry, red-headed girl? <laughs> they just big called, Dolores? They just called her Big Dolores. And she just like whoop on the other boys. Was that a Little Rascals episode? Maybe. Let's see. I mean, I don't know. We wouldn't know if she was redheaded in that. Oh, cause... it was in Hope Floats. <laughs> oh, yeah. You're the only person. <laughs> what the fuck is Hope Floats? It's a really good movie. But Big Dolores, she just. She... <laughs> anyway. <clears throat> so they're living at Catherine's mom and dad's farm. Uh, they weren't there for long, the family, her and her two daughters, before they move out and they start renting a house in nearby Muswell Brook. Ooh, Catherine's on stomping ground. Yeah. When they got there, Catherine gets her job back at uh, at the Aberdeen Slaughterhouse there as a meat slicer. So back to the knives, mm. back to cutting up the piggies and the cows. Grouse. Gr grouse? <laughs> I don't know if they cut grouse up at the slaughterhouse. It's Australia. I imagine there's iguanas and spiders, Komodo they... dragons. Yeah. An aborigine. 
or ab- aboriginals. Aboriginal every once in a while. I don't think they even see what comes in front of them. They just get like tunnel meat vision, <laughs> they call it. That's what they call it. Meat vision. <laughs> meat, meat vision where it's like a heads up display on a robot where whatever's in front of them, it just shows them exactly how to quarter it. How to Exactly. Yeah. She doesn't even, it could be a person. They just, they, they go into automated mode. Just <laughs> shank, loin, <laughs> backstrap. Best part. It's true. Hard to get Everybody to. knows that about Komodo dragons. <laughs> backstrap. 1985 up. Yes. She hurts her back. Catherine not hurts her back. As pr- presume that's what she claims anyway. Uh, and it was probably from carrying the weight of being that large of an absolute cunt. <laughs> but uh, it's important to point out. I know I said cunt. Yeah, I know I said cunt just then. And that's a very offensive word. But it's important to point out that that cunt, that cunt <laughs> is a term of endearment in Australia, right? Yeah. It's... In Australia, they use it for everything. It's not that offensive. Yeah. So that's... chill out. Don't get mad. This time, though, when I said it just this this time, I meant it in the American way. <laughs> At least you clear. At least you clarified. Yeah, I meant it in like a stupid bitch, uh, like a the, um, the cancelable way. You meant the cancelable it. way. That's how I meant it. Okay. Okay. Just Ooh. to clear that up. Yep. You you and you 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 and Bill Burr. <laughs> Somehow you so. get away with it. Uh, so she hurts her back in 1985 and went and she goes on a disability pension. So she starts getting a check for disability because she hurt her back in 1985. She's just a big, stupid, redheaded fucking cunt. And look, here's the thing. Anybody that wants to take up who wants to argue that Catherine Knott wasn't a cunt. I would love to hear your best argument. Please, uh, I genuinely am excited to hear this argument. <laughs> you shouldn't call Catherine Knott a cunt. <laughs> Please. We are we're really spending some time. We're spending like school shooter level time on, on that. I fucking See, hate school shooters. Don't get me started I on know. school shooters. Yeah. Always thinking they're better than everybody else. Yeah. Walking in schools, shooting people. Yep. Yeah. Stupid. Stupid. Make them wear hot dog hats. How did you say that? Smart idea. Hate school shooters. Get them out of the country. You, 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 if you, you had, if you had your way, you'd white fang them all. Get, if I had, get, what, what does that mean? Get, get on, get, get out of here. Get. You'd white fang. That's like what happens on white fang. You get, you get on, get. We wouldn't even let them swim in our pools. What? Make them ride in the back of the bus. Whoa. That's what I think about school shooters. Different water fountains. Mm. Unconscionable, but also supportable. Yep. I really hate school shooters. I can can tell. And I support But Catherine Knott, she was definitely a cunt. (laughs) Um, She didn't need to... She didn't need to live close to work anymore because she was, like I said, on disability before. She always chose her homes and places where she lived off of proximity to the slaughterhouse or a slaughterhouse. I don't know that it necessarily even needed to be her slaughterhouse, but just the comfort of being around something that was being quartered and cut up and destroyed. Some kind of creature that once lived and had aspirations and dreams. I think that's more what it was about than just being in that blast radius of that. Mm. Makes sense. 
but she's on disability now. So mm. doesn't matter. Like I said, the government gives her a housing allowance there in Aberdeen, and now she's unemployed, but still making money. Welcome to America. Oh wait, that's not. This is uh, Australia. Yep. Never mind. But also true in America. <laughs> 1986, the year after she hurts her back up, she meets a man by the name of David Saunders at the Aberdeen Bowling Club. And that's a great place to to run into what you think is going to be the the love of your life at the bowling club. Yep. It's, uh, you know, the 80s Tinder app. It's an app. You ever been bowling? Yep. Swipe left. Every time. Swap left. You know Tinder. I'm familiar with. I mean, I know of it. I'm married, and you have been for since the app was created. Yeah. Well, on the Tinder app, when you swipe left, means you reject them. That's all I've ever done on Tinder. To just just to. That's my way of showing devotion. Just swipe left. You downloaded the app just to shut girls down. Yeah. Download the app, stock photos of someone else to say that's who I am, and then I swipe left on everybody. So it's just like an exercise in relationship restraint. It's exercise in relationship restraint. It's exercise in thumb dexterity. It's a great way to stay in shape. Yep. I'm just going to table that. Yeah. We'll talk about it more uh, later. David Saunders was a minor. She met the... I don't understand you. <laughs> innovative thinking requires innovative... What, uh, David Saunders was a minor. He was gentle. He was he was a polite man who loved dogs. He was not prone to violence. I know that this always seems what everybody says about anybody that ever gets murdered. Yeah. Um, but this is what people said about him as well. Great smile. Uh, he had a, lit up a room when he walked into a room. Yep. Um, everybody looked up to him. He spent his free time saving the sea turtles and cleaning plastic from the ocean. He wanted to be an astronaut. Yep. He had. Uh, he was going to be a senator there in Australia. I don't know if they have senators. Um, he wasn't a cunt. <laughs> that word again. <laughs> I mean, in the Oof. American way. I meant yeah. that in the American way. Oof. But in the Australian way, he was 100% a cunt. Oh, well. Compliments to the chef on both counts. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, he was a miner. And I mean, by that, I mean he worked in uh, retrieving uh, resources from the earth and bringing them to the surface and not in the way where he couldn't buy cigarettes. Okay. So he, okay, so he was a sewer of sorts, but a miner. Yeah, back to that. Yep. Oh, he's never going to live that down, Emma. No, probably not. The sewer thing. Probably sewer, not. sewer. Yeah. Always. But yeah, gentle, polite man. Loved dogs. Loved animals. And in my experience, somebody who loves animals, usually they're pretty good pretty good people yeah. most of the time. Lit up the dog pound every time he walked in. Yeah, exactly. Moved yeah. in with her, David Saunders, pretty quickly uh, into their relationship. Moves in with Catherine there and her daughters. Just uh, It was around two months into the relationship. It's moving a little fast. Yeah. Wow. A little fast. He, he does keep his old apartment in Scone, though. And Catherine, she hated that. She was very jealous of that. She hated the fact that he had a plan B. But he was just keeping it just in case. And I would assume that the constant waving of butcher knives, violence, and outright insane behavior was probably a red flag. 
for him if we're being honest. Like, ah, pretty smart. Pretty might want to have, you know, an egress route <laughs> on this. <laughs> I agree. If he was on Tinder, he'd probably have the same strategy I have. Sounds he was like. not on Tinder. This is 1986. Yeah, so bowling Tinder was not bowling, just a bowling alley. You still swipe left there. I love watching you squirm. <laughs> I wish we did video versions of this. <laughs> you look like a worm when you pull it out of the ground and just lay it on cement. It's like, and what? it's just trying to get back into the dirt, but there's no dirt around you. You want to be off camera. And for you, being off camera is the dirt, but you know you can't leave the camera, so you're just like on the cement, just... <laughs> I never touch my mouse for any like I'm never like on Amazon while you're talking or anything but I constantly am right clicking on my camera picture on Zoom going turn camera off and I'm like no no can't do it. not gonna do it not gonna, not gonna do it I, I won't let him win but it's tempting like 300 times per episode to do that getting ready to get a lot worse. Uh, David Saunders, like I said, he keeps his apartment. And he also kept it not just because he assumed this probably wasn't going to go the distance, this relationship, due to all the butchering and the violence. But uh, she also threw him out pretty regularly. Oh. So he had to go somewhere. (laughs) Yeah, he needed this place. (laughs) Yes. He needed a plan B. She hated that he had a place to go when she... What's the point in kicking somebody out if they're just going to go somewhere else and be comfortable? Exactly. They don't ever learn their lesson. Yep. It's a vicious circle, cycle. May 1987. So this is May of 87. Tinder still doesn't exist. Huh? They have an argument. And in this, after after having this argument up, Catherine storms outside. We're getting ready to lose, lose listeners. <laughs> she storms outside. He thinks, hey, I'm going to let her cool off, you know, let her cool her red bush off out there. <laughs> Just chill. Let the breeze blow through it. <laughs> uh. And then he remembers up. That's not how things dry. <laughs> that his eight-week-old dingo puppy is out there. Wow. He runs out into the backyard and finds his puppy, his eight-week dingo puppy, with its throat laid open. She had cut his throat and killed it. What? <laughs> yeah, over a simple argument, normal argument, she killed the thing that he loved, his little dingo puppy. Laid its throat open, made a Pez dispenser out of this puppy. Wow. Just, Oh my Made goodness. like a South Park version of a Canadian. <laughs> That's good. That was really good. Now, <laughs> I don't mean to sound like a prude, but I think that's ridiculous. Uh, one time my wife, she threw out my New Balance sneakers that I used to mow the lawn in after we had an argument, and uh, I nearly lost my shit. I'm getting, I, I, can under, I can relate to that. I keep mine in a safe. Your New Balance sneakers? Yeah. Yours are probably pristine, though. You've got, like, your mowing one, and then beside them, you got your malls. You're walking the mall sneakers. I, they both look pristine. Everybody knows when you're done mowing the lawn, you need to treat your shoes properly. Beside them is a perfectly folded and iron pair of knee-high white socks. <laughs> On the top shelf is some denim blue jeans. Yes. I know, you, but you know this because I took a picture of my safe and told you just in case something ever happens to me, here's my the contents. Retrieve of the safe. Yeah, <laughs> protect it with with your life at all costs. <laughs> exactly. Birth certificates, New Balance, in that order. 
Or not in that order. Now, after seeing his dingo puppy had been made uh, a slinky out of, it, uh, he, he very ups- he's very upset. He, he comes storming into the house, and the second he breaches the doorway in typical Catherine Knott fashion, reminiscent of David Callett coming home late, which is 9, 30, 10 o'clock. Oof. The second he breaches the doorway there to confront her over his dead dingo puppy, he goes unconscious because she hits him over the head with a frying pan. <sighs> This guy does not have good luck. And this is just a day in the life of being married or being in a relationship with Catherine Knott. Which makes you think she probably... Fucking cunt. (laughs) I can't even remember what I was about to say. You said makes you think. It's not helping. Nothing. Nothing. It was probably something about Tinder or New Balance. Nope, nothing. Still nothing. How about let's go unrelated coins? Just see where it is right out of my head. It's not there anymore. I'm trying to think of what you would have brought up in considering the conversation. I mean, we just talked about him getting knocked unconscious, unconscious. story wise. What would that have brought up in your memory? The Revolutionary War. It's, I appreciate your efforts, but it's gone. It's gone. I'll bring it up if it comes the up. The movie Radio Flyer. <laughs> nope. Feel we're warm, but it's just not there. And that had Elijah Wood in it. Yes. Yeah. And a bald one. There's a bald Elijah Wood out there? No, not a bald one. Not a bald one of Elijah Wood, a bald win. Oh. Uh, The the brother of the murderer. Okay. (laughs) The guy that hates guns? Yeah, that guy. That killed a person with a gun? He didn't. He didn't. He didn't. See. The news told me he didn't. He didn't do it. Somebody did, he says, but he didn't. That's what the news said, so I have to believe that. It was the bald one that played Animal in Full Metal Jacket. Yeah. Greg. That was in Radio Flyer. He played the abusive father. He's he's a good one. That's the funny part. <laughs> Adam Baldwin? Is that right? Is that his name? Could be. It doesn't matter. At one point... During their relationship, uh, her relationship with Saunders, she ended up breaking some of his ribs, and he had, after an argument, this is just after an, after an argument, he has broken ribs and such deep cuts on one of his wrists that he had to have stitches Jeez. to fix it at one point. This is a day in the life of being in the relationship with Catherine Knott. Saunders' friend said it wasn't unusual for him to show up at work with bruises and cuts on his face. This guy's just getting in car wrecks every single day. <laughs> Only the car wreck is a six-foot, 230-pound, red-bushed fucking Australian cunt. <laughs> with a temper. So visual. Uh, you're probably wondering how in the hell she keeps a hold of these men despite being such a horrendous human being, huh? Right? Part, yeah, partly. Apparently she has a thunder pussy. <laughs> <laughs> mm. Wish I'm making this up. This apparently is true. She might look like the kid from the Mad Magazine covers fucked Ronald McDonald, but she had the... She could apparently do, like, the damnedest thing with her tongue. I'm not making this sex thing up. Apparently, she was just as good at sex as she was making perfectly conscious men go to sleep at the drop of a hat. Wow. Old Thunderpuss. Old Red Thunderpuss. <laughs> Catherine Thunderpuss Knight. That's what they call her around town. <laughs> I, f- 
I I was with you, and then suddenly I feel like I'm downwind of this this whole cunt. I can of a slaughterhouse cunt. I can t- I can taste dialogue. How's that possible? <laughs> I, yeah, apparently she was really good at sex, and she used her vagina to uh, just clamp down on these men, like in a metaphorical kind of lock up the way dogs do I, <laughs> you ever seen dogs get locked up yeah yeah it was like that but mentally <laughs> hard to do her vagina clamped down on the mental cock of the man and he couldn't get away it's unnatural because of her thunder puss not really possible oh I think it's important Not that possible. It happens time after time again in this story. <sighs> Doesn't. She's a horrible person, but somehow they keep coming back. It's got to be another reason. It's just not the, the fight. You, you think she was a conversationalist, a thespian? <laughs> Maybe. Scrolling through the script looking for references to either Shakespeare or Revolutionary War. Not seeing any. But I'm sure. You got anything for June of 1988? A coin fact? You know what? It's funny you mentioned that because I do have one fact. That's crazy. She does give birth in June of 1988 to their third daughter, Barbara, who she had named after her mother. Hmm. Her mother was also horrible. Yeah. Barbara's one of those I need to speak to the manager names, right? If yeah. I'm like working at TJ Maxx and I see some lady and some another employee's like, oh, that's Barbara. I'm like, fuck. She is going to be upset about something. She is going to need to talk to the manager. She uses the, the term grievance a lot. Yes. Yeah. I know this lady. I also think it's funny that in Stranger Things, they killed Barb. And like, you know, everybody's okay with it. Barb. Yeah, I didn't really care for that character. No. She was a real cock block. <laughs> Very disposable character. I'm sorry, you had a coin fact for June of 88, didn't you? Yes. Um, okay. Uh, no, don't do it. I was just asking. You said that you had one. Yeah. I was just curious. 1989, Catherine receives a compensation payout of $15,000 for her back injury that she had gotten in 1986. And with that money, she pays off the house they were all living in, as far as she was concerned, making it her house. Oh. Even though they had got the house together after little Barb was born. Wow. So... This is now her house, and fifteen grand to pay off a house. Remember those days? I don't. I was too young. No, you were. What is eighty nine? You were twenty six, <laughs> twenty seven. You're probably three houses in at this point. Close, close. So nineteen eighty nine, she receives the payout. Fifteen grand pays off for her house, what she is considered her house. Uh, a few weeks after that. Catherine and Saunders get into another argument, and in this argument, she hits him in the face with an iron Jeez. and stabs him in the stomach with scissors. <laughs> what? Yeah. Not a pleasant woman. Some would say a cunt. Yeah. Term of endearment in Australia, so everybody chill. <laughs> he uh, After this uh, iron to the face and scissors to the stomach ordeal, he does break up with Cameron and with Catherine and moves back to his apartment in Scone. Wow. Uh, hey, Op. Yeah. Have you ever had a female hit you during a relationship? Yeah. You ever been struck? Yes. What well, What happened? What was I, this? Why, why did she hit you? What did you do? I was to make her do that. I was engaged to a textbook abuser. <sighs> so, 
So yeah, it happened a lot. And I can definitely see you getting in a relationship like that. Yeah. Just walked right into it. You're at the bowling alley, <laughs> sipping on an alcohol-free margarita. Yep. You're complaining to the bartender that it's too spicy. <laughs> yep. That's, that's exactly. It they get spicy so quick. So quick. He put too much ice in it. Yeah. Too cold. It's really buzzes the teeth. You call it spicy. Yeah. That's what that's what draw Why did she hit you? What did you do to make her hit you? Talks talked to her. Talk to what her. What did you say? Every whatever humans do to communicate. That's what I was saying when So there wasn't like one time in particular that you recall. No, it was it wasn't when when she hit me. It was whenever she hit me. It, that was what was happening in the background. Well, was that was it? just her love language. I get. I never thought of it that way. Had you been around to talk me through this back then, I might might be married to her today. No, I completely understand her. Oh, because <laughs> because <laughs> you want to hit me. Is that weird? Saying, I get this lady. Yeah, a lot of people say that when I tell the story. Story. I don't mean to victim blame, but it's your fault. <laughs> most li- most likely, that's what she always said. I love it when people say, "I don't mean to X," or "I don't want to sound like X," and then they do the thing that like sounds exactly or is what they say they don't want to sound. You ever heard this one before? Mm. Now, I'm not a racist, but <laughs> you know when somebody says that, you got, you, you're you like bracing the, oh, God, here we go. Yeah, yeah. that's what grandma, grandma would, grandma would say that, and then there was always a conversation about Brazil nuts right after she said that. It's weird. Have you ever been stuck in an uncomfortable conversation where some white guy tries to explain you the difference between a hard ER (laughs) and a regular black person? Yes. And you're just, oh, God, this is. That's one of my openers at barbecues. (laughs) And they always, before that conversation happens, they go, I don't want to sound like a racist. And then that's followed by, I have lots of black friends. Yes. Yeah. Or the joke, I have a color television. <laughs> I don't want to sound like a homophobe, but what's the deal with all these faggots? <laughs> this is a really hard 45 uh, minutes. So um, no one knows, but. We had to reschedule. It's Sunday. It's Sunday. Yeah, Sunday. The Lord's Day. Sunday. (laughs) And I, you should be at church right now. (laughs) When you said, "Could we do this?" I was like, "I will do that for you." And then I told my wife, "Hey, what do you think about not going to church on Sunday so I can do this?" And she said, "If you, if you feel, if you feel like that is a sacrifice you have to make, and I have regrets, but I love you." So, I just understand why she hits you a lot. Yeah, yeah. Does your as your current wife ever hit you? No, not that I know of. She has in her head probably a lot, a lot, a lot, like all the time. Like you can kind of see it in her eyes when she's hitting me. I think 
<laughs> I had a girl punch me in the face once, hard, Ooh. like hard, while I was driving 70 miles per hour down the interstate. Oh, she's not only and abusive, she's not smart. <laughs> you talk about multitasking. <laughs> Do you have any idea how hard it is to control a vehicle while you're running 70 miles an hour down the interstate and beating the shit out of a girl? No. I'm kidding. I didn't hit her back. Boy. I had follow-up questions, but I'm... You like that left... You like that curveball I threw this? I was glad you... Glad you kept me from having to ask my follow-up questions. Yeah, she hit me a lot. Yeah. But I don't think it was her fault. She came from a... She came from a rough upbringing. I feel bad. I felt bad for her then. She's doing good now, though. Yeah. She was a good girl. Yeah, my ex-fiance is not... She's still terrible. She hit her husband that she ended up marrying, and now they're divorced, and I think she just goes around hitting people still. So, what's that word you used in Australia? Cunt. Yeah. Oof. I, see, I don't feel that way about the girl that hit me a lot. I think she was just going through a lot. Yeah. Yeah, mine was, too. A lot of swinging Heck. motion. <laughs> but I get her. Swipe left. I mean, like I said, I don't want to victim blame, but I, I don't think that it would take a necessarily like mentally broken person to hit you a lot. Nah. I agree with you. I'm self-aware. I feel like I'm being really hard on you this episode. <laughs> it's all I'm right. sorry. It's- I think I've just got a lot of pent-up um, stress yeah. that I'm... Extra. I'm hitting you. That's what I'm doing. It's all right. It's all right. If this had happened on any other day, it would have been something. But I'm clothed in the Lord as we sit here, protected by his shiny shields. Oh, well, angels. okay. Um, so she stabs him in the stu- She stabs David. I'm just going to push on past that one. Okay. Um, she hits him in the face with an iron. What did I say? An iron stabbing. Stabs him with a with the scissors. He does show up, but he he leaves, moves back to his apartment in Scone. He shows up later to get his clothes, only to discover that she had cut all of them up. Oh man! And uh, he also finds that she had vandalized his car and took an overdose of sleeping pills and a half ass attempt to try to commit suicide. And this won't be the last time she does this. It's I'm going to kill myself, but doesn't really go through with it. It's really easy to kill yourself. Mm. (laughs) What? Sometimes they... You know that book where the sidewalk ends? Yeah. My brain does that sometimes with our conversations. (laughs) Bonk. Am I wrong? No. And that's the problem. Yeah. Everybody gets all uptight. I hear spitting facts. It's easy to kill yourself. Yep. You should write a self-help book. (laughs) (laughs) After the suicide attempt, she was put back into a mental hospital. And they probably had her. By this point, there's probably a room there just for her where they keep some of her things. Like, they, they just keep it there. They just have a plaque near the door. Come with us. She's like, oi, I know where it is, you cunts. (laughs) Unquote. Plaque on the door with her name. Oh, Saunders took a long. So David, he's 
she's obviously crazy. He takes a long service leave from work during this after she gets out of the mental hospital and goes into hiding like Annie fucking Frank. Wow. Because Catherine Knight was basically a taller, redheaded version of Adolf Hitler, but with a vagina. Wow. 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 Mm. That's how bad this woman is. This guy, this poor bastard has to go into hiding. You really need to look up Big Dolores. Watch that movie after this. Hope Floats? Is that what you said it's called? Yep. Yeah. Yeah, you'll be like, whoa, that's her as a kid. Sounds like an upbeat remake of It. <laughs> yep. The same story arc and everything. Is there a clown in Hope Floats? Hmm. Yes, actually, because Sandra Bullock's in it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't know why you have a problem with Sandra Bullock. I think she's perfectly pleasant. Catherine tried to find him when she got out of the mental hospital. He's in hiding now, uh, but nobody would tell her where he was. So she's walking around probably like Popeye, chest <laughs> puffed out, big fucking forearms from all that slicing. You know how Popeye always leaned into his. <laughs> oh, you cunt! Where's that pussy Sanders? Everybody's just scared and cowering. <laughs> She's got red pubes coming out of the top of her <laughs> denim blue jeans that probably go up past her belly button. She's got a pop. Huge underbite. One eye closed. <laughs> just trotting. Ah. <laughs> Where's that pussy Saunders? You fucking cunt. Oh, man. Oh, it's church in my head. It's definitely church in my head. Yeah, you should be at church, right? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's funny. When you go tonight, they're going to ask you what you were doing this morning. And I'll just say singing hymns all, all morning long. <laughs> That's what I was doing. Uh, so like I said, not, nobody would tell her where he was. Months later, he does return to see his daughters. <laughs> Because he misses him. And uh, that's then that he discovers that uh, she had gone to the police after she couldn't find him and lied to them and said that he was abusive and she had gotten a restraining order on him. Whoa. Uh, we call that here the old Tennessee switcheroo. <laughs> that's when an abusive wo woman fakes being abused and flips the script on the man. The Tennessee switcheroo. That's pretty good. Tell as old as time here in the Appalachians. <laughs> You're in Kentucky. It's, yeah. It's that popular, huh? It's like... Yeah. The Tennessee switcheroo, yeah. Bigger than one state, that method. And now, through all this, she was also abusing her kids. And I wrote here, gasp. <laughs> That's the thing that makes you gasp out of everything yeah. you've said. <laughs> She's also hitting her children. I don't know if I was expecting that. Uh, she regularly regularly punched and hit them in the face for the most minor infractions, um, like pooping in the microwave again. I don't know why I brought that up. I brought that up in the first step. It's just like a minor infraction to me. It's something that happens a lot when we're kids. We poop in the microwave. We get whipped. You do it one time, you learn not to do it anymore. Yeah. But uh, in the night house, so that is a punch in the face. Every time. Even a little poop. just like a little poop. <laughs> like if you get a little bit of poop in the microwave... She is going to fuck you up. 
How is this show still on the air? <laughs> I'll wonder that every time we do an episode. <laughs> oh, man. Ugh. Smallest bit of poop. <laughs> like a tablespoon. She's going to hit you. She was a fucking cunt. <laughs> wow. This, this is the one. <laughs> this is our swan song. <laughs> so go to better help. Because <laughs> they're a bunch of fucking assholes. <laughs> Ouch. And they might play their ad right here. <laughs> I'll clap it in. <laughs> Gosh. Oh. I fucking hate better help. <laughs> oh my eyes. They made me re-record the ep- the, the ad. <laughs> well, they did have a point. <laughs> you brought up suicide. <laughs> So up top. In a funny way. <laughs> oh, I, blame my, I blame myself, though. I blame myself. Somehow. I'm crying. Oh. 1990. 1990. Oh, yep. Yeah. Good year. <sighs> oh, man, that was hard. 1990, Catherine, get... She... She gets with a 43-year-old former slaughter. In 1990, Catherine gets with a 43-year-old former slaughterhouse worker by the name of John Chillingsworth. And uh, she had bumped into him at a bar called the Willow Inn. Mm. And uh, inadvertently, John had fucked up his whole life. <laughs> <laughs> and unknowingly at this point, just by running into this wildebeest <laughs> with red hair. Oh, fucking big forearms. <laughs> she carried a can of spinach. <laughs> oh, you cunt. That's how she started everything. Oh, you cunt. Look at this gash. It'll fucking ruin your whole life, you cunt. It's Catherine just having a nice conversation. Showing off her wares. Public. <laughs> um, her and John Chillingsworth had actually met 18 years earlier. They weren't strangers. Uh, they had met 18 years earlier at the slaughterhouse in 1972 when Catherine was 16 years old. If you remember, she got her first job at 16 at the slaughterhouse. Yes. Um, John was 23 at the time, and in that period, nothing had happened between them. They had just kind of become acquaintances, a little bit of friends. But uh, he, John had moved away, gotten married, had kids, and since gotten a divorce, and then moved back to Musselbrook. He had he was so he was kind of back in town, but kind of new to town again. He had been away a long time, so he was completely unaware of the legend that was Catherine Knott. Oh wow! Um, he didn't know the history behind her. She was at this point in time kind of the boogie woman of Musselbrook. Like <laughs> local kids probably claim that they saw her living under a bridge and eating raw fish. You had to answer a riddle before she would let you pass the bridge. 
She is the boogie woman of Muslims. Everybody knows Catherine Knott. I mean, at this point, she went crazy, left her baby on the train tracks, and then started swinging an axe at pedestrians. No one would believe that. You're right. She'd be like, she's the cantacabra of Musselbrook. Why do people listen to this? I don't know. I don't know why. His friends, (laughs) Chillingsworth's friends, tried to fill him in on Catherine Knott and tried to catch him up, get him up to date about this woman, but he didn't really seem to care. Moving forward, huh? Didn't care. Just pushing on. He didn't. He didn't believe half of what he heard. Didn't care about the other half. And uh, that's love. (laughs) Thunderpuss. Oh, I have asthma. John later said that the early days of their relationship were fantastic. They were great. He thought he had found, he truly thought he had found his soulmate, the love of his life. And within weeks of getting together up, John Chillingsworth gets Catherine Knott pregnant. Because Catherine Knott was also apparently part rat. And the most fertile piece of farmland in New South Wales was the fire red patch between Catherine Knott's legs. Because the second anybody even remotely drops a seed near Catherine Knott, she gets pregnant. You could jerk off in the next town and get Catherine Knott pregnant because the wind will carry a breath of the jizz to her vagina and it finds its way through that thick denim into her bush. Which has like her bush acted like the mucus, the nostrils, the hair in your nostrils. You know how it catches debris and stuff. That's what her bush did. It was like a a a, a creature all its own that would grab semen breaths out of the air and pull them in like a like a Venus flytrap. Oh, oh. Every time you talk. I feel like I'm just walking down the street. Do, 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 do. This is a beautiful day. And then suddenly I'm swarmed with bees. Every single word out of your mouth is like bees in my face. That's the like, best Grr! analogy for listening to this podcast is just randomly being swarmed by bees. Killer bees. Just like out the, of nowhere. Like the Yuba County Five. <laughs> and and those poor bastards on the Diotlifts Pass. Yeah, bees. Bees. That, that's Winter bees. <laughs> Oh, man. I don't know what hurts more, my soul or my cheeks. So, yeah, her red bush was an organism. (laughs) A living organism that that thrived. It had sensory things on the end of its hairs that could sense (laughs) semen in the atmosphere. And it would reach out and pull it into her vagina to make babies. And I'll let you calm down over there. <laughs> oh, man. 1991, she gives birth to a little baby beautiful boy named Eric. And that's the last time you'll hear about him because all the children in this story are seemingly completely unimportant. Wow. Aside from getting knocked around on the on the rag for <laughs> leaving little bits of poop in the microwave. <laughs> she did refuse to let John Chillingsworth move in with her. And the reason for that is pretty understandable. Uh, it meant that if he moved in, her welfare checks would stop her, 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 how she was surviving month by month. So he couldn't let move in with her. Also, her mother Barbara had died. Oh, and Catherine had inherited her house on McQueen Street. Now, despite my efforts, I couldn't find an exact date on Barbara's death. It kind of seems like Australia. 
is a little bit, they hold information pertaining to crimes a little bit closer to the chest. There's not a lot on Catherine Knight. It honestly blew me away, despite how well-known this case is, Hmm. that Catherine Knight is, for the most part, out of the newspapers in Australia. I I have found the same thing with 911 over there. They're triple zero calls. Uh, But I found the same thing with with 911 calls. They're not as easy to get. Yeah. Um, Yeah. This was a really hard case to research. And finding anything that isn't, you know, pretty well known is really hard. Yeah. Because my favorite source is digging through ancient newspapers to find that one little gem, Mm -hmm. you know, but that's just not possible with this case. Um, Australia holds their cards close to their chest. Yep. Um, I couldn't find Barbara in obituaries. Couldn't even find her in history. So I don't know when she died, but I'm assuming it was sometime around 1990, 1991, because Catherine does inherit Barbara's house on McQueen Street there. Okay. Did you Google map it? I'm assuming you did. No, because I don't even know. I I couldn't get a number. Oh, okay. So I don't even know what house it was exactly or if it's even still standing. When Barbara inherits this house, she decorates it. Check this out. up. Animal skins, horns, skulls, animal traps, leather things, old farm equipment like hoes, rakes, and shovels. That's how it was decorated all over the walls. And I know that this restaurant comes up a lot on uh, TCK, but it was basically a Cracker Barrel. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That's the decor. Of Cracker Barrel. It's true. And I don't know if the listeners ever ate at a Cracker Barrel, but this is how all Cracker Barrels are decorated. Just old animal pelts and farm equipment. And and creepy pictures where the eyes watch you no matter where you're sitting in the restaurant. Yeah. Where women look like men. Nothing looks like an exact photo. It all looks like it was sketched, but it's still a photo and everyone looks angry. You know, I once asked one of the waitresses at Cracker Barrel if all the artifacts in Cracker Barrels are genuine, and she said, yes, they are, that there's a guy whose job, his sole job is to find stuff to hang on the walls of Cracker Barrels. Wow. All that stuff is real, and if you're like an antique hunter yourself, and you're having a hard time finding stuff, it's probably because Cracker Barrel (laughs) has sucked up all of the cool old artifacts from farm like old farm tools and stuff. They're all in Cracker Barrels. What's what's also interesting is not all items, but you'll find price tags on some of the stuff on the walls. Like you can buy it. And it's probably astronomical. Probably. Probably. Can you imagine that guy's dreams after seeing all the photos that he has to procure? Probably pretty scary. Cracker Barrels are to farm tools, old farm tools, what Catherine Knott's pubic hair <laughs> was to semen in the air. I hate that I both understood and tasted that analogy. Your mustache must act the same way. <laughs> <laughs> you just rubbed your I face. I did. Well, I wiped my mouth <laughs> after you wiped your mouth. <laughs> and I don't think that was conscious. It was a reflex. <laughs> Your neighbor just jerked off next door and your mustache started moving like he got spirit fingers. Like like the hair on the avatar people. 
Oh. I see you. After the baby Eric was born, Catherine got back on her bullshit with Chillingsworth, the violence, the fights, yada, yada, yada. It's, I mean, to surprise a nobody at this point. On one occasion, she got mad at, at Chillingsworth and even went and slept with her ex, David Saunders, and then came home and told John all about it. Oh, wow. Let him know all the details. But, and you're probably thinking, well, why didn't he leave? We've already discussed this. Thunderpuss. <laughs> yep. On another instance, John did hit Catherine's daughter, Melissa. Uh, They didn't get along. She hated him. He hated her. And in retaliation to this, Catherine broke both pairs of John's false teeth. (laughs) And this is a situation that the Kentucky State Police have probably been called upon many times. (laughs) There's a code for it. (laughs) Yeah. Breaking false teeth. Yeah. Because he hit her daughter. They were both laying in bed. (laughs) (laughs) Ouch. Oh, man. The mother was outside beheading a chicken. (laughs) Or a puppy. Now, John Chillingsworth, he was a heavy drinker, and he eventually quit. And after quitting, he did go, uh, he went in a complete opposite direction and got into drug and alcohol counseling. And in 1993, he's trying to turn his life around. He becomes, like I said, a drug and alcohol counselor. And he is offered, because of this, a job in Queensland where he eventually moves. And he had moved there with plans of eventually moving Catherine and the girls there with him. But, and nobody's ex- nobody's surprised by the but, <laughs> uh, the one time Catherine came up to see him, they got into another knockdown, drag-out fight. And uh, that one have ended the relationship for good. Mm. Shocking. Also, Catherine had been cheating on Chillingsworth the last couple months with a man by the name of John Price. And uh, they had actually met at the Aberdeen Motel. Or hotel, I'm sorry. I don't really know the difference between a motel and a hotel. Still, this has come up so many times and I can't remember. You uh, park your car in front of your door at a motel. At a hotel, all the rooms you access from a hallway inside the building. Huh. So. I'll ask you again on the next episode. I you might. <laughs> but in 1994, so they meet at the bar here at the Aberdeen Motel. Hotel. What's the difference again? <laughs> and in 1994, they officially start dating. John Price here and Catherine Knott. At this point, Catherine had been unemployed for eight years. She has four kids with three different fathers. Her oldest kid was 17 years old, and her youngest was two years old. That's a pretty big gap. Wow. You know what's amazing to me is we fast forward so quickly between her being pregnant to having the kid. But could you imagine, like, the way Catherine lives her life, how she maintains her pregnancy for nine months? Like, that's amazing. That's like a yeah, feat that baby, of nature. It really took some jarring. Just probably. Because like if you the, think a left hook, the baby's in there like, what is my mom, a jockey? <laughs> you know? <laughs> Do we have a mechanical bull in our living room? <laughs> a Sibian? She probably regularly punched her stomach so the baby wouldn't be such a pussy when it came out. <laughs> She liked that baby to come out just a little bit leathery. She wakes up with morning sickness, starts punching herself in this. I cut it out, you cunt. 
baby comes out looking like the Marlboro man, just ready for work. Ford with their big ass forearms. <laughs> Walks right out of her. First, oh. baby's first word. Cunt. <laughs> yep. So, like I said, Catherine's been unemployed for eight years at this point. Four kids, three different fathers, oldest 17, youngest two. And a little bit about John Charles Thomas Price, or Pricey, as he was known. Old Pricey. He was a 38-year-old divorced father of three, and he was also a minor with a limited education. He's He was kind of, you know, not the brightest crown in the um, box of crowns. There are crowns? Brightest crown? He was fucking st- stupid. Um <laughs> But a really good guy. Yeah. A really nice guy. Sure. Uh, and everybody says this. And I know that, like I, we were just saying a minute ago, everybody says this about victims. But, I mean, even his ex-wife spoke highly of John Price, said he was the most loving and gentle man that she had ever known. So John Price, he had moved to Aberdeen in 1981, and uh, he had split with his wife, Colleen, in 1988, Colleen was the one that would eventually take up for him after his, uh, spoiler alert, soon-to-be murder. Oh. And she said she still loved him very much and that he was the most kind, caring, loving, and gentleman that she had ever known. So for somebody's ex to say that about them, I feel like that kind of holds some truth. Uh, and in Australia, probably. In Australia, yeah, where people are very honest. Yes. In Australia, everybody's a cunt. It's just like, <laughs> what level of a cunt are you? You know, it's like, ah, you cunt, that's your friend, right? That's your person that you care about. And then it's like, ah, you fucking cunt. (laughs) That's like a person that you don't really have any particular feelings about. And it's like, ah, you fucking bloody wanker, piece of shit, cunt. That's like a person you don't like. Baby diapers on the shelf are listed by size, but it's uh, the word, the C word followed by a number. Yeah. Actually, it's not even the number. It's just little cunt, (laughs) cunt, and big-ass cunt. And then uh, the uh, elderly doppers are wankers. (laughs) You know what's so weird is we're doing this show and the C word coming out that much in any show. But in my head, I'm actually going, we're fine. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> I don't know how. I don't know how. <laughs> I, think, I think we're fine. I think we're all right. I don't know. I don't think I can go back to church ever, but, you know, I'll be here ready to record now every day. Prossy, he was lucked by, he was loved by everybody. Like I said, not the brightest tool in the shed. That doesn't make any sense. But um, a hard worker. A great guy. Give the shirt off his back. Gentleman. He was also a heavy drinker. Friends would later say after his death that he, quote, he could drink for all of Australia. That's a, that's a mouthful. Yeah. Wow. 1995 up. Catherine moves in to Pricey's house with him and his two teenage children, and she brings her kids with her. So it's important to point out that Pricey's biggest, the thing that he cared about more than anything on earth was his two children, his two girls. I mean, I think that's pretty normal, but he was always concerned with how Catherine treated them. 
Mm. So the, his children were always first. John Price's children were always first. And during this time after she moves in with him, although Catherine had been mostly sober her entire life, she never was much of a drinker, never did drugs. When she got with John Price, she did start boozing it up pretty hard. Mm. Um, and John Price's nickname for Catherine was, quote, the speckled fucking hen. <laughs> and I don't know why. <laughs> wow. It's not very, oh, unquote. Uh, oh. That's not very <laughs> romantic. Glad you saw unquote. I can just see them watching like Hope Floats <laughs> sitting on their colorful couch. It's 1995. Yeah. He's playing with her curly, red, <laughs> thick Popeye hair and she's drinking from a can of spinach. <laughs> Yeah, and uh, she's jerking him off with those massive forearms. Probably take the tip of his dick is turning purple because she can't even control how tight her grip is. And he whispers in her ear, "Oh, I love you, you speckled fucking hen." And she's like, "I, I love you too, you cunt." Then the tip of his dick falls off. <laughs> I can't. <laughs> she spits. She's also got a dip in. <laughs> Into the spinach can that she's drinking from. Vaginal hair starts <laughs> happy fingering. <laughs> Only this time it's blood that's shooting out the end of the. Stop. <laughs> At first, John Price, Pricey, he says the racial, the relationship was good, aside from occasion from an occasional violent argument or two. Um, <laughs> I would say that's a bad relationship. Yeah. But with Catherine not, just an occasional violent argument, that's pretty good. You're doing pretty good. Um, and that also, I think, says a lot about Australian relationships in the 90s. It was a good relationship. We'd knock each other around a, a little bit every now and then, just like any other couple. Actually, I should, I should point out, the only person knocking anybody around in this relationship was Catherine. In any relationship, um, right? Yeah. yeah. It was Catherine. Yeah, with her big forearms, veiny forearms. <laughs> Probably had an anchor tattoo on one of them. John would occasionally slip up on accident. I mean, he had been with his ex-wife for many, many years, right? And he would occasionally slip up and call Catherine his ex-wife's name, Colleen. Oh. They both start with a k. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of words. Start with a k over there. <laughs> Colleen, Catherine. Yeah. But he would accidentally, I mean... You can't really get mad at when you're married to somebody for as long as they were married. But in, regardless, this would send Catherine into an absolute rage. Not surprised. You ever done that? Yes. Yep. Uh, I how, had this how did your significant other handle it? Uh, well, except she handled it well. I did it in front of my in-laws, my new in-laws. That was weird. This one was extra weird, though. I was in the car and I said, hey, Siri, call my wife. And Siri said, which one? 
Because oh. <laughs> I forgot to edit my contacts. I've changed that since then. They also fought because Pricey consistently refused to marry Catherine Knott, even though she has she asked him like a lot about it. She was very pushy. Mm. And him calling her Colleen, his ex-wife, probably didn't help things. Because, like, why would you marry her and you won't marry me? Yeah. And I think we all know why. <laughs> yep. Have you ever seen a picture of Catherine Knott? I'm looking at, I'm, I googled images her right here. Yes. Looking at Looks it. Looks like a redheaded donkey. I don't know what I'm looking at, but I there's a picture. There's a picture of her, and she's got a smile, but she's kind of got her chin cocked back. She's She's got a couple chins. There's a arrow to another man, and then I don't know why, but there's a plate of meat. So I'm looking forward to how, what's that? That's going to make sense in a minute. Okay. So she's constantly bringing up marriage to Prossy, and he keeps saying no. He, ref- he refuses. So her, her way to handle this situation is she steals a bunch of his money and then goes out and buys herself an engagement ring Uh-oh. from Prossy. Wow. And I guess in her way, well, it was his money that she bought it with, so it was a gift from him to her. Yep. When she brings it home and shows it to him, he says he still isn't marrying her. She can keep it if she wants, but he still isn't marrying her. And as far as he's concerned, like, maybe it'll shut her up. (laughs) So, yeah, show off your engagement ring, but we're not getting married. I feel like that's that's like how how kids these days do it anyway. We're getting married. Oh, when? We're not sure yet. Uh, so John's kids hated Catherine. She hated them. Uh, and in 1998, John and Catherine get in a fight over the fact that he keeps refusing to marry her. And all, but mainly it was because she had just discovered that in his will, he had left everything to his two girls, his children, house Ooh. and everything. Okay. She was completely not included in the will. Hmm. Now, he's kind of, I feel like this is her fault. He's pretty open about the fact that he doesn't intend on this going anywhere. I think he's just afraid Mm -hmm. more than anything. He's throwing some pretty heavy hints. Hey, we're never getting married. (laughs) Never. (laughs) My children are far more important to me than you are, as they should be. But whenever she finds out that she's not included in his will at all, she raises hell, throws a fit, and in that argument, he finally tells Catherine that she needs to get the hell out of the house. Well, he kicks her out. He kicks her out. How wow. do you think she handles this? What does she do? Oh, probably probably handles it pretty well. You would be wrong, because oh. what she does in retaliation, instead of, you know, stabbing and cutting and doing all that stuff, she takes a different approach. Hmm. She wants to uh, destroy his livelihood. So what she does, see, Pricey had went into the to the uh, dumpster at work and gotten and taken a bunch of out of date medical kits that had been tossed out. Still not allowed to take them, right? Uh, Was his plan maybe to like resell them or something? Uh, We don't know what his plan was. He's dead now. Yeah. But regardless of his plans, even if it was to resell them, who gives a shit? They were thrown out. They were in the trash. Mm hmm. But she knows that he shouldn't have them, so what she does is videotapes all these items they had, he had kept them out in the shed that he had, quote, stolen from his work, unquote. She then sends this video to his boss, and despite the fact that it was basically trash that they had thrown out, John Price gets fired from his job at the mine of 17 years oh. and loses his pension, 
along with his six-figure salary. Oh, my goodness. And this is the 90s. Yeah. Wow. She ruined his life. He then goes really through with kicking her out, and she returns to her house, which was her mom's house, the Cracker Barrel. Right. Catherine Barrel. So she had her own house, but she was mad that she wasn't going to get his house, too. Yeah. Wow. She returns to the uh, Cracker Barrel to stay because he kicked her out. But, unfortunately, a few months later, John gets lonely and starts daydreaming about that furry caterpillar. (laughs) And uh, they do get back together. But Price refuses to let her move in back, back in with him this time. But, Catherine does tell John when they get back together, quote, if you take me back this time, this time it's to the death, wow. unquote. And she meant it. She, I feel like she means everything she says. She does. Mm-hmm. She does. After they get back together, the fighting becomes more frequent and even more violent than it was before. So bad that John's friends stop coming around because they hate her so much. Wow. This brings us to the bouncy house incident op. That's what I'm calling it. The bouncy house incident. Okay. One day, John pays a guy in the neighborhood a case of beer to set up a bouncy house for the children in the neighborhood. He's just a good, like I said, this is a good guy. You know, he's like, hey, we'll do something for the kids. Set up a bouncy house in my yard. Here's a case of beer. This guy owned a bouncy house. He sets it up. He's just thinking, you know. Kids will play. He's probably got a sprinkler set up. I don't know. I don't know. What, but but he's just trying to do something nice for the kids. At this little shindig where he's got the bouncy house for the kids in the neighborhood, Catherine gets stupid drunk and makes a complete ass of herself by accusing John's daughters of molesting her kids. Whoa. Which is like her favorite thing to do. And this is another thing that comes up a lot. Catherine's defense mechanism a lot of times is just to accuse people of molesting her kids. Yeah. It's wow. like she's at Sears. Her card gets declined for a dryer. <laughs> she's like, well, you molested my kids. I'm like, lady, I don't, you don't even make your kids. I don't even know what your kids look like. <laughs> I, I'm the cash register at Sears. First time I've ever seen you. Put your hair back in your pants. <laughs> it's not even about the card. <laughs> Why do your forearms look like that? <laughs> Um, but that's like her defense is just to accuse people of being pedophiles. You can't eat spinach in here, ma'am. <laughs> and it's also really gross because you keep spit dip spitting into the can of spinach and then eating the spinach, and it's disturbing watching you chew. <laughs> then she crunches it like <laughs> like Darla and Little Rascals the pop can. Urgh. Big forearms, huge hands, like bananas, like Caucasian <laughs> bananas. That's what her fingers look like. Um, her oh. arms, her forearms and hands look like Tom Cruise's forearms and hands in Tropic Thunder. <laughs> Do you know he, he? Her arms and hands, her forearms and hands look like Ludacris's forearms and hands. And get back the music video. <laughs> her forearms and hands look like. Rosie O'Donnell's forearms and hands in everything. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. 
So yeah, she just when she gets into it with somebody, she just immediately goes into you're a pedophile mode. Wow. This was her defense mechanism. Uh, obviously, John's daughters weren't molesting her kids. And the way that John's daughter handles this accusation to this drunk, stupid Catherine, uh, it's the first time really that somebody stands up to Catherine. And I think she didn't know how to handle this because John's oldest daughter, I believe she was in her early 20s, grabs a decorative plate that she knew belonged to Catherine and asks if it, asked if anybody knew who's this, who's this was. And Catherine says it's hers, and John's daughter replies, quote, well, fuck off or I'll break it over your fucking head. Wow. Wow. She then literally Spartan kicked Catherine off the porch. (laughs) (laughs) I like her. (laughs) And uh, Catherine kind of gathered up her pride, what little was left. She never had anybody stand up to her like that. This is a bully getting what they had coming to a moment, kind of. Yeah. I'd say. And she kind of like slinks off like the piece of shit that she is and stews on it for the next few days. Mm. About a week later after this incident, she does stab John in the chest with a butcher's knife during an argument. Jeez. Did he, this so leaves that's a permanent how, scar. Oh, he didn't die. He didn't die. Wow. Wow. Uh, not long after that, over beers with her brother... She tells her brother, he later recalled, quote, I'm going to kill Pricey, and I'm going to get away with it. I'm going to get away with it because I'll make out I'm mad, unquote. I don't oh. think you're making out. This woman is psycho. mad, yeah. <laughs> she doesn't have to fake it. This definitely shows some premeditation, though. Ugh. Right. Wow. In 1999, David Kellett, now remember, David Kellett is Catherine's ex, Right, the first one mm-hmm. that went through hell with her. Um, he was knocked out pretty regularly by her coming in from the bars at like nine thirty, ten o'clock. Um, she made his life a living hell. David Kellett and John Price, her now current man, meet at a bar and they start talking. Uh, they find out David's like, oh, yeah, I dated her. I was with her for a long time. We were married. And uh, they start kind of <laughs> bonding over their abuse that they've taken from this same woman, Price, who is currently going through it, and Kay- Kellett, who probably still has the both psychological and physical scars of his relationship with Catherine. Yeah. And uh, David Kellett would later recall that he remembered John talking about how badly he wanted out of that relationship, <laughs> but he was just too scared. Oh, my gosh. He said that she he was literally shaking talking about Catherine. I'm not I'm not surprised and probably I'll bet you end that conversation when the ex husband was like, Well, real nice meeting you. That guy was like, Don't leave. No. Please. Don't leave me. Please. I'll suck your dick. <laughs> Please. I'll put you in my will. How'd Just you get out? Don't leave me. Please. And and as the guy's walking away, he goes, No. And then he goes unconscious. <laughs> Both of them simultaneously, somehow, even though they're on opposite sides of the bar. Because their arms are so long. No muscle tone up top. Wow, that's amazing. She had no muscle tone, no biceps, no triceps. All of it was in her forearms. <laughs> Forearms. <laughs> 
No, so stupid. <laughs> um, <laughs> February tw- February twenty seventh, two thousand. Pricey and Catherine get into another fight, and Catherine once again goes for the knife. But John knows the uh, gig at this point, and he runs out the front door and then hides in the neighbor's house where he calls the police. And the neighbor said that he was covered in scratches all over his face. Uh, The police get there. They end up doing nothing. Uh, But that night, Catherine and Pricey fucking make up, and then he passes out. Wow. Mm. At 2.30 a.m., he wakes up. And sees that Catherine is standing. Catherine is standing next to the bed beside him, leaning over him in the pitch black darkness, with her hands behind her back. How terrifying would that? Be? You're just like, oh, and you see somebody's face like inches from yours, and her hands are behind her back, which is a physical feat in and of itself because they're so giant. Yeah. Like yeah, it almost probably broke her shoulder blades. To say. <laughs> Dislocates her shoulders. <laughs> Trying to get them. That's like, that, that would be the same level of comfort as somebody having you handcuffed behind your back and then pulling your handcuffs up with a rope to a tree hanging you. <laughs> it's like the ultimate yoga pose. <laughs> Impossible for most. When he wakes up and makes contact, eye contact with Catherine, it obviously, as it would anybody, it scares the shit out of him, and he hops out of bed, <laughs> frightened. And Catherine acted like everything was completely fine, and then they both get in bed and go back to sleep. Wow. I wouldn't be sleeping. I'm not going to sleep anyway after this. I wasn't no. even there. February 29th, 2000. So this is two days later. After the uh, the police incident where he had to run to the neighbor's house, Kathy woke up. This is the last day of John Price's life, February 29, 2000. Catherine wakes up early that morning and gets John ready for work. She cooks breakfast. Uh, she made him lunch uh, for for his. He had gotten another job after she had gotten fired from gotten him fired from his other one. So she makes his. She makes him breakfast. He eats breakfast. Then she makes his lunch. He then leaves for work. And him and Kathy leave at the same time. Kathy left to run some errands. And I use errands in quotation marks. <laughs> Catherine drops by her sister Joy's house and picks up a video camera that she had left there a few months earlier. Let Joy borrow. At lunchtime, so during John's lunchtime, Pricey goes to the Scone Magistrate Court and gets a restraining order against Catherine Knott that was supposed to keep her away from him and his children. He was more worried about his children than he was anything. Now, meanwhile, on the other side of town, Catherine is running around showing a bunch of locals a bunch of bruises that she had made herself and claiming that John had been beating her. Mm-hmm. So she's really making herself, her presence known about town, showing off these bruises. What do you think she's doing up? She's establishing an alibi. Say she is establishing uh, an alibi. Jesus. She is establishing an alibi? That, yes, that's what she's doing. Ah. She's it. like, oh, something might happen later tonight. I don't know. <laughs> Things are about to get silly. Mm. But here's some bruises. Uh, Catherine then goes to her daughter Natasha's house and starts videoing herself with the camera she picked up from her sisters earlier that day, playing with Natasha's baby, her granddaughter. And in the video, she has her titty out. What? 
I want to say that again. Her titty is out of her shirt, and the baby is playing with it while Catherine sings a song called Nana's Titty Bops. What? What? I'm not making this up. Oh, kind of wish you were. I don't know this is an Australian thing. We have a lot of Australian listeners. Maybe they'll be able to clean this up or clear this up. Probably. Her titty is out. The baby is playing with her tit like it's a tinker toy. <laughs> and Catherine is singing Nana's Titty Bops, which is the weirdest version of Kids Bop CDs. <laughs> Nana's Titty Bops 5. <laughs> and this one has Maroon 5 on it. Well, And I wish that this video was available for public. <laughs> I know you're looking for it right now. I can see it in your eyes. You're not going to find it. Nana's Titty Bops. Nana's Titty Bops. While her grandbaby plays with her fluorescent white titty. Gosh. <laughs> Uh, she also takes her daughter, Natasha, out to a Chinese restaurant for dinner. Uh, she said she wanted to make this day special for her daughter, Natasha. Nothing is more special than a reheated crab rangoon <laughs> at a China buffet. <laughs> the funny thing is, this is the first time reheated crab rangoon has come up, but I feel like we've been talking about that all along. Yeah, Crab Rangoon is, I, this whole story is to get to talk about how much I love Crab Rangoon. <laughs> it's like the best culinary experience on the face of the earth and apparently is enjoyed worldwide, even in Australia. <laughs> do you like Crab Rangoon? I, I, do, I actually of, do. Of course you do. I know you did. I did. Didn't have to, you didn't have to answer that. <laughs> I knew that. Everybody loves Crab Rangoon. Everyone does. I even eat it at the Chinese place down the road, and they have the sign out front, and they won't change it, but theirs says Crab Lagoon, and I still eat it. I still eat it. Crab Lagoon. And that's what Catherine's vagina was. <laughs> oh, man. I've been like gag-level midnight for most of this. That did it. Uh, uh, Just very humid <laughs> and crabby Stop. and moist. Oh, no. oh. I'll give you a moment. Okay. Let's both read that pamphlet for a sec. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, it's uh, this is a true story. I was, I'll tell you how good Crab Rangoon is. <laughs> I was once eating at a China buffet, actually close to my house. I still eat there. I, important to point out, after this story, I've ate there a million times and I will continue to eat there. <laughs> I was sitting at a table during my lunch break at the time I was working construction, working on a hospital uh, for, I was doing electrical work. And I was on my lunch break and I'm down there eating Crab Rangoon at the China buffet. And a cockroach that you could have put a saddle on <laughs> and wrangled and trained to ride. That's how big this cockroach wow. was. Came out from underneath the table and crawled across the table in front of me while I was eating crab rangoon. This is how good crab rangoon is. I stopped chewing just for a moment and watched it make laps on the table. 
and then go across the table and disappear under the other side <laughs> and then took another bite of my crab and go. <laughs> <laughs> it is that good. I love it. It really is. I love mm. it. And I love that China buffet still to this day. Mm. That that same one that I saw that cockroach that you couldn't have killed it with a 12-gauge shotgun. That tells us a lot about your love for Crab Rangoon and also the depth of your ability to forgive all in one story. Yes. <laughs> you don't need my pamphlets. You're good. You're good. It's not their fault. Everybody has cockroaches. cockroaches. Yeah. I guess. Not really, but... I mean, I would imagine, I bet that every restaurant, there's at least one cockroach. Um, and it just so happened that the one cockroach that that restaurant had, and they only had one, crawled across my table. It's very possible. Have you seen more cockroaches there since that one? I haven't. That was the only one I've ever seen. Oh, well, maybe you're, maybe you're right. Hopefully you're right. God, I love Crab Rangoon. Oh, I can tell. Just the crabby creaminess in the inside and are you conflicted i think i'm gonna go to the china buffet after we get done recording this i'm being serious uh, me too actually we need to get this finished let's finish the story i'm going to the china buffet okay all right i'm, I'm buckling in is it open I, it's sunday nothing's open on sunday hold on let me see if no the china buffet in oh i'm not gonna i don't want to ruin their business with that story I'll just beep it out <laughs> i clapped you in there because i really do like them so i don't want them to I don't want to ruin their business. Oh, it's open today. I Yay. know where I'm going after we get done recording. <laughs> I'll take a, like a frog gig, just in case I see another, because you would need a frog gig. To kill it. So she takes Natasha out to the China Buffet, and then Catherine leaves her two youngest children, Natasha's siblings, with her for the night. So now the house is, she got the house to herself, just her and Prizy, right? Mm-hmm. Natasha, because this is something Catherine never did. Natasha jokingly said, quote, hope you're not going to kill Pricey and yourself tonight, unquote. But she probably said it kind of laughing, like nervously. Yeah. You know, like, oh, hope you're not going to kill Pricey and yourself tonight. Huh? Huh? Yeah. Catherine. <laughs> While John was at work that day. He told his co-workers that if he was not at work the next day, it would be because Catherine had killed him. Wow. Wow. Everybody's kind of planning for this. Everybody's knowing what's going to happen. <laughs> Holy cow. Pricey's co-workers asked him not to go home, uh, but he said he had to go home because he was worried about his children. When John got home at 9.30 p.m., she wasn't there. Um, and we don't know where his kids are during this, they end up making it away completely unscathed. I guess they had stayed at a friend's house or something along those lines because John Price's children um, aren't here this night and they're not even there the next morning. Mm. But he does get home about 9.30 and Catherine isn't there. He spends that evening at his neighbor's house next door and then he goes home and goes to bed at about 11 p.m. Meanwhile, Catherine is still about town uh, and she's at the thrift store, at a thrift store, mind you, buying black lingerie. Hmm. Odd at flex. A, at a thrift store. A thrift she's store. <laughs> used what? sexy time panties. <laughs> and this is... I feel like you're going to make another crab rangoon joke. No, just pubic hair. It's just a lot of red pubic, like bright. I mean, red really shows up against black. It does. Very contrast. The only other... 
I mean, the only way I can show up more is if she had white pubes. But <laughs> black lingerie, so much red pubes, massive forearms. <laughs> and she bought them at a thrift store, so they've already got stains in the crotch of them. Uh. She buys her, she takes her lingerie that she bought at the pawn shop and... Uh, <laughs> And she arrives at Price's house around midnight while he's sleeping, lets herself in with a key, and then she sits down in the living room and watches TV for a little bit, Hmm. just kind of socking herself up, I guess. Then she takes a shower, slips into the lingerie, and wakes him up, and they have sex. And then he falls back asleep. This is kind of like a praying mantis. Yeah. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Right. And it's also fitting because praying mantises... Huge forearms. You ever seen them? <laughs> You're not kidding. <laughs> Praying uh, mantis is kind of the Popeyes of the insect kingdom. <laughs> oh, man. So, uh, it's now the early morning of March 1st. Probably around 1, 2 o'clock in the morning. As he sleeps... Catherine Knight pulls out a butcher knife and while he's sleeping, begins stabbing him. According to blood evidence, he did awake after the first few stabs. Um, In his panic and confusion, he tries to turn the light on because he doesn't even know where this... Actually, he probably definitely knew where this was coming from. Yeah. Um, But he can't see where it's coming from. Right. Um, He tries to turn on a light because there were blood smears on the light you know, receptacle. Yeah. He then runs through the hallway, through the house, and she's just following behind him, just stabbing frantically in his back. Jeez. He never had, upon evaluation of his corpse, he had no defensive wounds. So he never tried to fight back. He was just trying to get away. Ugh. So she's stabbing him over and over in the back as he's running towards the front door. He did make it to the front door. They found blood smears on the handle of the front door. He gets it open and collapses on the front walkway of the house. Then she drags him back into the house like a monster. You know that scene in all the monster movies? (laughs) Yeah. Where they're like, no, and then they get pulled into the darkness and the door slams. That's exactly what happened here. And it's there by the front door of the house that she begins viciously stabbing him over and over. Many of these wounds went into his vital organs, his stomach, both lungs, his aorta, his liver, his left kidney, his colon, and his pancreas were all punctured. Jeez. In total, he was stabbed 37 times. My goodness. In the hallway of the house, there was a pool of blood that was three feet by six feet. Wow. That's Oof. a lot of blood. That's a lot of blood. After she was sure that he was dead, after the 37 stab wounds, she showers again. She takes his ATM card out of his wallet, goes into town, and takes out $1,000. That $1,000 to this day has never been recovered. She's never admitted to what she did with it. Hmm. We don't know where it is to this day. Um, She does, after taking out the $1,000, though, comes back to the house. And it's here that things get really heinous because she begins skinning John Price, like professionally. She gets the entire pelt off, the entire hide off in one piece. 
Wow. The hide, the pelt, it included his skin, obviously, his ears, his scalp, and his neck, all in one piece. Man. She used a variety of knives to accomplish this. Um, The only parts of flesh left on his body was the little square piece on his chest. That was the scar from where she had stabbed him previously. Oh, and it was like like, she left that as a memento. No. Wow. And his genitals. Oh, really? That's interesting. So she left his dick and balls and the little scar as, I guess, a memory of her. A little. Yes. Something. The hide was taken off so precisely and so well that the mortician literally re-sewed the skin back onto his body. Oh. (laughs) That's how clean her work was. He may have been able to have an open casket. Wow. I don't know. I wasn't able to figure that out to find that out. Mm. But I know that the, the mortician was able to very easily sew the entire thing on, like putting clothes on. That's amazing. So after she gets his hide off, she hangs it up on a meat hook at the entrance of the house like a Texas Chainsaw Massacre version of Queer Eye for the Straight Guy. (laughs) (laughs) Don't they decorate interior? They do interior decoration. I think you're right. Don't they? Yeah. Yeah. Like a really (laughs) bloody curtain just hanging there. She then decapitates Price, so she cuts the skinned head off the corpse and puts it in a pot on the oven with vegetables on our oh, on the stove. I'm starting to see the picture of meat that I saw manifesting itself. Yeah, because she also goes and begins cutting chunks of muscle out of his ass, and she cooks those with baked potato, pumpkin, beetroot, zucchini, cabbage, Yellow squash and a special gravy, a special gravy that she had made. Wow. By this time it is morning now, the birds are chirping. She sets up two full plates with his meat and stew, and next to the plates, she puts a little note to each of his two children. Her plan was to feed John Price to his children. Oh my goodness. Wow. Those notes that she left with uh with each plate to their children have never been released by police. So we don't know what they said. She did also leave a handwritten note on a picture of Price in the middle of the table. And this is what that note said up. And this is just going to show you how stupid Catherine Knott was because she was really fucking dumb. Mm. Quote, by the way, I know that when I read this, it's going to sound like a jumbled mess and it's not going to make a lot of sense. But this is word for word how she wrote it. Okay. Okay. Quote, Tom got you back, Jonathan. Jonathan spelled J-O-H-A-T-H-O-N. So it's spelled Joathon. Johanathon. <laughs> Tom, Tom got you back, Johanathon, <laughs> for rapping. Raping. Oh, Okay. Raping spelled R-A-P-P-I-N-G. For rapping my duter. Daughter. Or what? Daughter. Oh, okay. Oh, wow. Daughter spelled D-O-U-T-E-R. Wow. Doubter. 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 Really stupid. So once again, we're going back to the her defense for everything is the person's a pedophile, right? Oh, Everybody molested her. 
everybody molested her kids. Mm-hmm. The, the guy that works at Sears, <laughs> the dude that cut her off in traffic on the interstate. Yeah, they all molested her kids. She's swinging those big forearms around like wrecking <laughs> balls. Um, so Tom got you back, Jonathan, for rap. Tom got you back, jo- Joanathan, for raping, for rapping my duter. And then it says, "You to Beck, you to you for to Ross." Beck. And I don't know what that means. You to Beck. I know Beck for- was Price's daughter. So if you clear that up, you to Price's daughter for Ross. Mm. For little know. John, which was John's son. And that's why I'm saying none of this really makes any sense. And But the last phrase of the letter is, uh, quote, now play with little John's dick, John Price. Oh, jeez. Unquote. Can you imagine, like, if, if any of this seems like reality in her head? Because I don't know if you've ever met someone like that they're a liar. They're, they lie all the time. And they're a manipulator, but in their head, you you think that there's like they think this stuff's real, you know, like they know I think they, they made lie it so much that they convince themselves yeah. it's real. Yeah, yeah. Ugh. yeah, but I think that's narcissism. Yes, I agree. There was a third piece of John's meat found laying in the backyard. She had tried to feed it to a dog. The dog she was tossed out it. the back. His head was then left in a pot on the stove just simmering on the stove. Mm. Sometime later in the morning, Catherine put the headless filleted corpse, so it doesn't have any skin on it aside from the the goods and berries and then the little scar on the chest, and an armchair with the left arm draped over an empty two-liter pop bottle and its legs crossed like it's relaxing. Oh, wow. I don't know what the point is in this. This is just like a three-year-old playing with a corpse. Oh, by the way, after she does this, after she does this with the corpse, she goes into the bedroom, lays down on the bed, and takes a like a half a bottle of sleeping pills and waits for death to come and come and take her. Six a.m. the next morning, neighbors notice that John Pricey Price's car is still in the driveway, and they go to check on him because they really thought a lot of him. Um, they knock on the door. John doesn't answer, and it's then that they see blood on the front door and the doorstep, and they call the police. At 8.10 a.m., the police do show up. They kick in the door, and inside they discover the nightmare scene. Catherine Knight was discovered comatose in bed from taking too many sleeping pills. She was arrested and taken back to the psychiatric ward. And in November of 2001, Catherine Knight becomes the first Australian woman to receive life without parole. Role. She is now 66 years old and is still to this day being held at Silverwater Women's Correctional Center in Silverwater, Australia. And that is the end of Catherine Knott Op. She's only 66, which means she's probably got a lot more years where she's kicking around making people's lives miserable. Yeah, and one heart in each forearm. <laughs> Yeah. To keep the blood pumping. Exactly. <laughs> it's like a cow. She's like a cow. She's got three hearts. I think cows have multiple stomachs, multiple so they stomach. have a lot of yeah. hearts. Catherine's got multiple hearts. Wow. Wow. That was a. What could be said about that? This was a two parter. Uh, what a cunt. <laughs> yep. Yep. What a cunt. 
Well, um, we, I, I should let you go because if if I don't and we don't get this edited and released, I think they're going to burn Patreon down. Yeah. So. Yeah, I think I'm going to go to the China Buffet. <laughs> Me too. All right. Well, I'll see you there. Well, I won't see you there, but I'll FaceTime you from there and we'll look at each other at the buffet. Don't FaceTime me, please, while I'm with my family. All right, I'll see you. See you there. Love you. Bye. 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 Bye-bye now. You hang up first. Okay. Okay.